going to turn to God's Word, to the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 3. A few weeks ago now, we began looking at Jeremiah. We looked, we've looked at chapters 1 and 2, and we're going to look at this chapter, which I'll read first. Page 757. This is God speaking. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord? Look up to the barren heights and see. Is there any place where you have not been ravished? By the roadside you sat waiting for lovers, sat like a nomad in the desert. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld, and no spring rains have fallen." yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. Have you not just called to me? My father, my friend from my youth, will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She's gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she didn't, and her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, Her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. The Lord said to me, faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Go, proclaim this message towards the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You've scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, men will no longer say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah will join the house of Israel, and together they will come from a northern land to the land I gave your forefathers as an inheritance. I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. A cry is heard on the barren heights, the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel, because they have perverted their ways and have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, faithless people. I will cure you of backsliding. Yes, we will come to you, For you are the Lord our God. Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hills and mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. 
from our youth, shameful gods have consumed the fruits of our fathers' labor, their flocks and herds, their sons and daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and let our disgrace cover us. We have sinned against the Lord our God, both we and our fathers, from our youth till this day. We have not obeyed the Lord our God. Lord, as we come to Your Word, we acknowledge that this is what it is. It was Your Word through Jeremiah to Your people Israel and to Your people Judah so many hundreds and thousands of years ago. But by Your providence and in Your wisdom and through Your Holy Spirit, it is Your Word to us here today in this place. Grant that we would treat it with reverence and respect. Grant that our minds would understand. Grant that our hearts would be pierced. Grant, O Lord, that we would hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us, and that we would be doers as well as hearers of Your Word. In Your name, amen. Okay. That's uh, the picture we used for Jeremiah 1 and 2, the fertile land versus the desert. We're going to look at, in this chapter, in chapter 3, at how we become very spiritually dry and we've become a spiritual desert. One of the saddest things you ever see as a Christian, one of the things that knocks your faith, and for me, knocks it more than anything else, is seeing people who've had a great love for God, who you've admired as Christians, gradually wander and drift and turn away from God. Just as sad is to see people in a Christian church who are once full of zeal and love for Jesus Christ continue to profess faith and continue to go to the church and continue to play their part, but to be as cold as ice when it comes to spiritual things. And perhaps even sadder is when you yourself experience that. In Christian jargon, we call it backsliding. And that's what is used here, where in verse 22 we're told, I will cure you of backsliding. I think that we, um, this is kind of, this is kind of tough, but I think that we have not taken into account enough how easily we wander away from God. And for me, it is devastating to watch Christians, to have experienced it myself as well, turn away from God just gradually and slowly until they get to a point where they they either are, are living a lie or they just say, well, I've lost my faith. Now, I don't know your hearts and I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're a Christian yet or not. I don't know if you're a backslidden Christian, but I know that this is a word that applies to every single one of us. So, uh, let's pay attention to God's Word. First thing, in terms of backsliding, we need to learn from the Scriptures. Verses 1 to 5 of this chapter, of chapter 3, ask the question, if we divorce God, can we remarry? The divorce law cited in Deuteronomy 24, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he writes her certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she's been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the Lord, upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. 
Now, the divorce law in Deuteronomy, as Jesus explains, was written because of the hardness of men's hearts. And it allowed something that I think in, in the light of New Testament revelation would not be permitted. But the issue here is that this law in Deuteronomy had probably just been discovered in the temple when Josiah discovered the law that was supposed, Israel was supposed to be living by. And Jeremiah is almost certainly referring to that. And what he's saying is, one of the things you've got to learn is you have got to take your relationship with God seriously. And it seems as though what he's saying is, he asks the question anyway, is it possible to return to God if you divorce him? If you commit yourself to God and then in effect, just walk away from God. Is it not like the marriage law? That's what he's saying. Is it not the case that once you walk away from God, that is it? Now, even to ask that question in today's culture and in today's church, you, 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 most of you instantly have the answer. No, we can come back to Jesus because Jesus always forgives us. Okay, I have a problem here, and it's a real problem. I think we take forgiveness far too cheaply. I think if you always wipe the slate clean, does it matter what you write on it next? Because that's what we think. Let me give you an illustration. Let us suppose that a man comes home and he finds that his wife is having an affair with another man. And there's tears and there's brokenness and so on. And he decides, okay, you know, this was a mistake. This was something that was wrong, but I'm going to forgive her. And so they rebuild their marriage, at least in his eyes. Except a couple of years later, he comes home again, and he finds exactly the same thing, this time with another man. And there's more tears, and there's more brokenness, and so on. And he says, okay, let's, you know, the, I'm partly to blame here as well. Let's get this sorted out. Let's deal with this. Let's forgive. And then he comes home one day, and he, again, standing outside the door, Here's his wife talking with her new boyfriend. And the boyfriend says, what if your husband finds out? And she says, oh, it doesn't matter. He'll just forgive me. That's what he does. He's a nice guy. Should he forgive her? Is that the right thing to do? Well, that's the exact illustration that is being used here. Rousseau's famous saying, God will forgive me because that's his job. He was saying that as an atheist being asked what happens when he was dying, being asked what happens if you find out that God is there, and he'll say, well, God will forgive me because that's his job. I think a lot of us as Christians have the kind of attitude, well, God will forgive me. We are far too quick to rush into the comfort of saying, well, Jesus died for my sins, it's all forgiven, and that's fine, I just carry on. Now, you have to bear with me because what I've just said is true in the sense of Jesus did die for our sins and we are forgiven, but we have to think very carefully about what we are doing. I think that some of us are living the shadow of a Christian life because we just think that God will forgive us. And as a result, we have no real relationship with God. Also, on the other extreme, there are those of you who think, I knew it, I've gone too far, I can never return. I can't come back to God. We know deep within ourselves 
that we are broken, wounded, and bruised, battered people who think that what we have done means that we cannot return to God. And when we hear messages of cheap forgiveness, we know it's cheap, and we just can't go there. It's not real. So the question then, and the serious question here, is when we fall away, can we return? When a church turns away, can it return? When a nation like Scotland returns away, can we return to the gospel? And that's the question that we're looking at. Look at verse 5, astonishing statement. Here are Judah saying, God saying to Judah, um, didn't you just call to me? My father, my friend from my youth, will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? That's a beautiful prayer. It's a lovely prayer. It's a meaningful prayer. My father, my friend, will you always be angry? And what does God say? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. Because that's the problem we have in the church. We're full of this, lots of it, lots of it. We can talk. We know the talk. And if you've been in the evangelical church for long enough, you know the jargon. You know the language of Zion. You know what to say. I find it fascinating that you can visit and you can talk to people who there's a lot of stuff going on in their life. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of sin. And the minute you start talking to them, they know that you're a minister or whatever, and and you start talking about the Bible, they come out with all the evangelical jargon. And it's just words. It's just words. God asks very seriously, if you divorce God, can we remarry? Is there a way back? Well, not if we don't take God seriously. Not if we don't take forgiveness seriously. Not if we, if we, if we just say, yeah, of course, that's what God will do, because that's what God does. Now, let me get on with my life. You have to take God seriously. And I guess the, the main thing, the whole thing of, of what I want to say from this is, I don't believe that many of us are taking God seriously. We're mucking around. We're playing at being Christians. What we're doing is we're a bit like the uh, adulterous woman I mentioned, who, sure, she'll be all lovey-dovey with her husband, and, and she'll do certain things and provide things and whatever. But there's not a depth and a commitment in the relationship. So we go to God, and we expect God to provide us with things. We, we'd like a, a nice feeling when we come to worship. We'd like to know that we are forgiven. Um, we need help when we're sick. We need lots of different things. We come to God in that sense. But there is no depth of relationship with God because we don't take Him seriously. And it's just something that's there in the back of our mind. It's something that's glib and casual. That, by the way, is what's a, pr- a problem with casual worship. I don't think worship has to always be incredibly formalized and so on. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a casual approach to a holy and almighty and loving God, which indicates that we are not taking God seriously. And that's absolutely abhorrent to God. So the second thing we get asked is verses 6 to 10, learn from your history. 
The former northern kingdom of Israel is used as an example. Judah, for those of you who, who know the Bible, Judah had, uh, as was separate. The rest of the, of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 11 tribes, they'd become Israel. And Israel was wrecked. Israel was ruined. And Israel is being used as an example to Judah. 2 Kings 17, 18, 19. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. And even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. See, I think this really must have stung Judah because this had happened. Israel had gone. And Israel actually was never really to return. And what God is saying to Judah is, Israel was so unfaithful. And you know that. And you saw that. But you're worse. He's saying to his own people, to the people of Jerusalem, to the people where the temple is, he's saying, you looked at Israel, and you saw Israel break off and rebel, and you saw Israel turn against me, and you saw Israel be destroyed, but you are worse. It's a bit like the church today in pride looking back and saying, oh, we're not like that church and we're not like the liberal church of the past and we're not, you know, just, we're, we can be quite complacent. We can be quite self-satisfied. We can say, hey, we've made it. Again, it's a, it's a disease that you find particularly in evangelical churches. This sounds as though I'm having a real rant at evangelical churches. No, I'm not, because I actually find it very difficult to conceive of any church that's not evangelical. If you're not evangelical, how can you call yourself a church? An evangelical church is a church that believes the gospel. So it's really, but this, this is, though, speaking to those of us who say we do believe the gospel. We're not liberals. We, we, we don't accept that people can uh, go around in the church and say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead or that the Bible's not the word of God or whatever. That's not us. But God says, yeah, but you're worse. You're worse. Why does he say that? Because he says, you're fake. Look at verse 10. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense. You saw what Israel did, and you faked it. You see what happens when a church goes liberal, so you don't go liberal. Officially, you keep your doctrines, but you fake it. You fake it in your heart, you fake it in your life, you fake it in your worship. You're actually worse. And again, that's so, so, so easily done. It's so easily done that externally we appear as though we are sound, but internally we're rotten to the core. Third, listen to God, verses 11 to 14. God identifying the seriousness of the problem, trying to deal with those who do not take him seriously, trying to deal with those who are glib, trying to deal with the hypocrisy that so many of us have. He doesn't then, he's not writing us off. He's calling us to return. Verses 11 to 14, the Lord said to me, faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. That's a rhetorical device because faithless Israel doesn't exist doesn't apply anymore. Israel's gone. It's a call to repentance. 
Acts 17, verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. We are called to God, being called to by God. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful. I will not be angry forever, only acknowledge your guilt. You see, the taking God lightly is dreadful. The pretense and the hypocrisy is dreadful. And God comes and He says, even though you have done this, even though you are like this, get real realize who I am. I am merciful. I will not be angry forever. Just recognize who you are, who I am, what you have done, and return to me. For, says God, I am your husband. I am your husband. Should he, if a man divorces his wife, should he return to her again? No, by the law, no. No, that's the Lord. Deuteronomy said that. But God is saying, yes, yes, you can return. And that's why in verses 15 to 18, he asks the fourth thing, to look to the future. Jeremiah looks forward to a day of salvation when God's people will be faithful, when all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the glory of God. Now, in Jeremiah's chapter 30 to 33, you find him speaking about the new covenant. For me, this is extraordinary about Jeremiah. This is no quick, quick fix thing because Jeremiah would never see what he had prophesied happen. Jeremiah had to minister to a people who were faithless, and as he taught them about God, and as he taught them about the new covenant, and as he taught them about being circumcised in their heart, not just in their body, they attempted to kill him. They rejected it. And he looked ahead to a day when that would not happen. Jeremiah ministered in a situation where a new act of God in salvation was needed. And he longed for that. Now, in the New Testament, that is what has happened. I think when you read Jeremiah, I mean, you can read Jeremiah 3 and you can say, okay, what this is really teaching is that um, the Jews, all the Jews are going to go back to Jerusalem. We're all going to go to Jerusalem to worship. I think that's a mistake. Now, whatever you think about the place of the nation state Israel and so on, first of all, you need to remember Israel is gone. What you're left with is Judah. And I personally do believe on the basis of Romans 11 and so on that the Jews have a special place still in God's providence. And I um, That's way too big a subject to go into just now. But I think it's an error and a mistake to equate that with the nation state uh, of, of Israel, and we've all got to go back to Jerusalem and so on. Because in the New Testament, what clearly happens is this does occur. This day of salvation does occur. And instead of everyone going to Jerusalem, which they did on the day of Pentecost, it spreads all over the world. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. So, in New Testament times, 
I think that God's people had rejected him and rejected him. And reject- By the time you get to Malachi, between Malachi and Matthew, there's a 400-year gap where there's no prophecy. And God then sends Jesus as a Jew to die for the Jewish people, to die for Judah, but also to die for the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that promise then comes. Now, when we apply that to our own situation, what we find is this, that I think the the warnings that occur in Jeremiah still apply. We take God too lightly. We take forgiveness too easily. We are called to return by God, and we can only return through Jesus Christ. But for that, we need to know about Jesus and who Jesus is, and we need shepherds. Look at verse 15. I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. You won't, when that happens, he says, you'll no longer need the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Why? The outward symbols, the temple in Jerusalem, the ark of the covenant, the, the tablets with the Ten Commandments. You don't need them anymore. You don't need to go to Israel. You are Israel. That's why when we sing the Psalms and we sing about Israel and Jerusalem and Zion, people will come in and, and, and even Christians will say, well, why are we singing about that? Well, because that applies to us. We are the new Israel. But what we need is the same as what was needed then, as Jeremiah prophesied, is we need people who will shepherd God's church. Because what's gone wrong with the church in Scotland is simply this, that the shepherds have fed themselves on the material things. The shepherds have not largely fed the people the Word of God. And we live in a culture now where people say, oh, I just find it out myself. I'll just go my own way. No, you won't. You go your own way, you will just really screw it up. You don't need a priesthood in the sense of a special person you go to to be forgiven. You need to know the way to Jesus Christ. And in the midst of a very hostile culture, you and I need to be faithfully taught God's Word by people who lead with knowledge and understanding. We need a a faithful church. We need people who are prepared to shepherd and to teach God's church. And you know, God's church is really, really hard to teach. Why? Because we, we, we want to go all over the place. We want instant success now. We want instant holiness now. We want instant salvation of everything now. We don't have patience. We don't have depth. And as Paul warned Timothy, there'll come a time when there are people with itching ears who will just turn away to anyone who tells them what they want to hear. But a faithful teaching of God's Word and shepherding God's people with God's Word. I I hear Christian leaders talk about shepherding, but it's not with God's Word. You know what they're doing? They're saying, you'll do what I say. You'll fit in with my organization. And they take to themselves the authority of God. That's wrong. That's always wrong. We need people 
who will shepherd God's people with God's Word, not just dip in and out and take their favorite bits, not just mispick verses to apply to their own plans, but who'll come and who'll teach what the Word of God actually says. And so, here's it's kind of a, a wee, it's, well, it's maybe not really a sideline. I wonder, and I'm going to say young men, because I think the Bible uh, is, stipulates that the leaders in the church in terms of the preaching and teaching should be men. But I wonder if there are any young men here or who you know of, you're thinking about your career, I wonder if you've ever thought of becoming a pastor or a shepherd in the biblical sense of the word. There's a sense in which I almost want to say, don't do it. It's a really bad career choice. Um, There are lots and lots of reasons not to do it. Just think of Jeremiah as a young man. Well, maybe. But there's part of me also wants to say, I long what Scotland needs What the United Kingdom we've been praying for needs is young men who will commit themselves not for a six-month mission, but for their whole lives to communicate and to shepherd God's people. There are different roles for different people. There are different roles for men and for women across the church, and there are many, many things that are needed, but I, I really believe that there is a deep need that we have for faithful shepherds, faithful teachers. Why young men? Because it takes years to train. Because you need to learn in order to train others. Because you need the unction of the Holy Spirit and the calling of the church and a holy determination like Martin Luther who says, here I stand, I can do no other. I think also, by the way, this is a call to the eldership of the church, to those of you who are elders, that we have to, we answer before God for anything else, for being faithful shepherds to God's church. It's not about us. It's not about control. It is about communicating the Word of God, communicating Jesus Christ to His people. It is the day of salvation. I think that's one of the wonderful things that we live in. We live in the day of salvation. Then lastly, lastly, let me just ask, where do we go from here, from verse 19 onwards? I myself said, this is God saying, how gladly I would treat you like sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance, and so on. Is there a way back to God? Come back to that question. Once you've wandered away from God, is there a way back? There's the fountains, and there's the broken cisterns. Can we get back to the fountain when we've been living with our own broken cisterns, when you and I have been living lives which are not filled with the Holy Spirit, are not filled with the glory of God, are not filled with the grace and beauty of Jesus Christ, which we rarely, if ever, catch a glimpse of that. If we've been living lives like that, if we've turned away from God, can we return? Yes, we can. And I want to suggest that this is how. First of all, in this, and I'll just go through this, we are called to cry to God weeping and pleading. A cry is heard on the barren heights, verse 21, the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel. The reason we cry to God is not to impress Him. The reason we cry to God is because all of a sudden we're taking God seriously, because this is for real. 
because this is not a game, because this is not religion, because this is for real. And because without God, who do we have? Without God, it's wasted. Without God, this is just religion. Without God, we're twice as much the son of hell as someone who doesn't know. What use are all our buildings and books if we don't know God? So we cry to him, we weep, and we plead for him to be with us. You see, the person who's very glib and says, oh yeah, I'm just going to pray to God because God will be with me because that's the way it is, doesn't know anything of the depth of their own sin, doesn't know anything of the love of God. It's superficial and it's glib. You want revival. I know that some of you pray for revival in Scotland. Be careful what you pray for because it will be revival in your own heart. And I think at first you will feel a tremendous sorrow and perhaps, I hope, longing for God. Verse 22, we say yes to God. Return, faithless people, I will cure you of backsliding. What do we do? We just say yes. Now is the day of salvation. This is the time of my favor. We say yes to God. It's as straightforward as that. We don't presume on God, but when we're invited, we say yes. Verses 24 to 25, we reject and turn from our sinful past. We say, that's it. We're not going there again. We're not justifying it. We're not excusing it. We're just leaving it. Chapter 4, verse 1, if you will return, O Israel, return to me, declares the Lord. We return to Him, to God. This is not just moral renewal. This is not just saying, oh God, now I'm not going to cheat and lie, and now I'm not going to watch internet pornography, and now I'm not going to do this or not going to do that. That's pointless. It's returning to God. If you put your detestable idols out of my sight, no longer go and astray. And if in a truthful, just, and righteous way you swear as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will be blessed by Him, and in Him they will glory. This is what the Lord says to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your heart. Simple. You walk the walk as well as talk the talk. So way back to God, yes. But here's the really difficult bit. We are so deceitful. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things that we can even falsify that. We can falsify tears of repentance. We mustn't rely on outward circumstances like Jeremiah says circumcision, but the inner reality. We must circumcise our hearts. Philippians 3 verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Break up the unplowed ground. Why? Because this is the hard ground. It's the frozen ground in preparation for sowing. I don't think this winter is going to last all winter, at least I hope not. But if it does, when it comes to those of you who have gardens, who plant things, it comes in the spring, and the ground is rock hard, and the ice is... You've got to break it. It's got to be broken. It's got to be melted. I think and I, I can't say this for you individually, I don't know, but I think that collectively, as the church in Scotland, and I, I, would, I would apply this to us as well, and I'd certainly apply it to myself, 
I think my biggest problem, our biggest problem, is the hardness of our hearts. We're so cynical, so bitter, so unforgiving, so cold. The things that excite us are relatively trivial. The things that should go deep into our very being. It's too hard. We're too hard. There's a song. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, break me, fill me, use me. It's a real, real challenge to us. The Lord calls us to repent and to come back to him. And with all the words that you've got and all the words that I have and all the excuses, that's it. There is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where we begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Amen.